We call it the Declaration of Independence. But it could just have easily become known as the Declaration of Dependence. Where you see at the very end of this declaration, the last sentence that they wrote was this. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. With a firm reliance on divine providence. You know, does it seem like we could use some of that spirit today? So there was something different about these leaders. Though they were declaring themselves to be politically independent from Great Britain, they did not view themselves as independent moral agents. They viewed themselves as dependent upon Almighty God. And they made a declaration of their dependence on God. So that's what my message is going to be called this morning, a declaration of dependence, a declaration of dependence on Almighty God. Everything about the life of a Christian should declare dependence on God. Everything about the life of a Jesus follower should declare dependence on the Savior. Because the truth of the matter is, we are very much dependent on God for everything. So my goal this morning, my purpose is uh, to lift you up, to strengthen you, to encourage you to live a life of dependence on God, to continually look to God and His purposes in every circumstance. When things are going well, acknowledge it as God's blessing and continue to depend on Him. When things are difficult, continue to hold on to God and confess your dependence on Him. Determine to make your life a declaration of dependence on Jesus. And so to do that this morning, we're going to look at a story from the Bible to show us what it means to depend and rely on God when the heat is on. Now, I must tell you, it was a little difficult for me to to decide on one story this morning because the Bible is so full of stories of people who depended on God and won the victory. We could have talked about Daniel. We could have talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We could have talked about Peter and Paul and, or Stephen, the first martyr, or King Hezekiah or Josiah. But in the end, I decided to look at the story of King Jehoshaphat because not only does he illustrate the idea so well for us, but it's also maybe a little bit of a lesser-known story. So let's unpack this story of Jehoshaphat together. It's in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Now, some of you might be saying, if you know the scriptures well, you know, which story of Jehoshaphat are you talking about, Pastor Paul? There's many stories of Jehoshaphat in the Bible. Well, this story is the story of Jehoshaphat and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Jehoshaphat and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Now, Many of you may be familiar with the children's book entitled Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. How many of you have uh, read that book or seen that book before? Okay. And those of you who are, who are familiar with that book may remember that after Alexander describes his terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, the book simply ends with a rather stoic observation from his mother that, well, some days are just like that. And, and that may be true. But it's not really very helpful, is it? It doesn't really give you any tools to deal with a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And as the book ends, I really kind of feel bad for this little kid, Alexander. Not really because of his day, but because of his mom. He's, he's lying in bed at the end of this awful day, and the situation is crying out for some perspective, some instruction, some help and understanding, and his mom is completely indifferent. Some days are just like that. And, and now, if it was his dad... I can kind of understand that, right? Because dads are kind of like that, right? Well, they're kind of like, you know, well, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, and maybe it'll be better tomorrow, right? But, 
But mom, when you have the worst day of your life and your mom doesn't care, I mean, that's a bad day, isn't it? Because if your mom doesn't care what's going on in your life, then nobody cares. But fortunately for us, in the story of Jehoshaphat and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, Jehoshaphat becomes an example for us in how to deal with terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. And so the New Testament says that all of these things in the Old Testament are examples for us so that we can learn something of God and something of faith and put it into practice. And so this is true of Jehoshaphat as well. So let's unpack it together. If you have the book of Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we're starting right in verse 1. And let me set up the story for you. Jehoshaphat was a godly king. The Bible says that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He obeyed the laws of Moses. He followed the Ten Commandments. He removed false gods from the land, and he acted uprightly. And he encouraged the people of Judah to do what was right in God's eyes and forsake false gods and idols and serve the Lord God only. And this dedication to honoring God is kind of important to the story. So I kind of want you to hold on to that if you can. And Jehoshaphat honored God and lived, lived a life of reliance on God and his word. And, and so it went well with Jehoshaphat and the people. Generally, it went well with them. The people were blessed. The kingdom was blessed. They prospered. Things were going well. And, and that's really generally what happens when, when you serve the Lord. Generally, the more you serve him, good things tend to happen, generally speaking. And what I mean is this, that when, when you follow sin, when you follow after uh, sin and self selfishness, there are often negative results that accompany those sins that come into your life. And so when you avoid these things and live a God-honoring lifestyle, you also avoid some of the negative things that accompany sinful lifestyles. And that's what the book of Proverbs is all about. If, if you live in wisdom and the fear of the Lord, then generally speaking, you know, good things tend to happen. However, it is not a promise that nothing bad will ever happen. So sometimes bad stuff happens and challenges happen to the most godly people. Sometimes godly people are caught up or, or feel the effects and results of international events like, like wars or, or recessions, and, uh, the godly, uh, and the ungodly feel it both when the economy goes up and when the economy goes down. The rain falls on the just and the unjust, and when a drought comes, it comes on the just and the unjust. And So this is what's happening to Jeho Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah as we pick up the story in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And it says that for some reason, everything's going great. But for some reason, the Moabites and the Ammonites and the Meonites, they all decided that they were going to wage war against Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah. Three kingdoms against one. And it says in verse 2 that some people came to Jehoshaphat and they told him, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Nazazon Tamar, that is, En Gedi. So what that means is that they were already in the country. So here, Jehoshaphat and the people, they're minding their own business, they're, going, they're doing their best to serve God and honor God, and it seems like everything's going well, and there's good crops and blessings all around, when one day, they get word that this vast army has entered the land. And this vast army, this vast group of people has shown up with swords and spears and weapons of war, uh, with no provocation, and for seemingly no reason at all, except they want to kill all of them and their families. And they're already within the borders. I mean, the situation was serious. It was, it was desperate. And it says in verse 3 that Jehoshaphat was alarmed. I mean, wouldn't you be? I mean, I would be alarmed. You know, what if for no reason, all of a sudden, you know, we got word that there's a bunch of armies surrounding Lancaster. And their aim is just to take everybody out. I mean, I'd be alarmed. That's what's happening here. You know, can I tell you that sometimes stuff 
comes into the life of the follower of Jesus that is alarming. You know, maybe it's a bad diagnosis. Maybe it's bad news on your job. Or maybe it's an alarming family situation. Or maybe it's world news or events that, that seem to be alarming. Whatever it is, stuff happens sometimes in the life of a Christian that can be alarming. And sometimes an alarming situation can cause us to act or react in ways that aren't wise. For some people, an alarming situation can cause panic that leads to very poor choices and decisions. If you're not already anchored to God by His Word and by His Spirit, like Jehoshaphat was, it can lead to panic and to rash, unwise choices and decisions. But here, Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah give us a great example of how God should, God's people should behave when we are faced with alarming situations. So let's look at it. Verse 3, continuing, he says, Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. He resolved to inquire of the Lord. He resolved in his heart that the first thing he needed and the first thing that the people needed in this alarming situation was to hear from God. And this is important because it contrasts with many other kings of Israel and Judah. There were several other times in the history of the kings of Israel and Judah when similar situations happened where a foreign country, a powerful foreign country, would invade the land. And we see these examples of how these kings and leaders, they weren't following God, they weren't serving God, and they would begin to panic. And the first thing they would do was to empty the palace and the temple of the treasures that were there and use them to purchase the help of some other foreign king, maybe the Assyrians or the Egyptians. And instead of relying on God, instead of depending on God, they relied on others first. They relied on worldly solutions without really seeking the help of their God. They were panicking because they had no foundation on the rock that is God Almighty. And, and so when the stuff that they were standing on, when the stuff they were building their lives on seemed to turn to quicksand, they would begin to panic. But for the Christian who is building their life on the things found in the Bible, you are standing on something solid. When everything else gives way, you will be standing because nothing will shake the rock that is Jesus Christ. And so these kings, they're relying on other kings to save them. And you know, and usually the other king would come and save them. They'd send them all that money, all that gold, silver from the temple and from the palace. And, and the other king would come and save them. But there was an unintended result. They would end up serving the kingdom that saved them. They would end up paying heavy taxes and tribute. And the king would become a vassal of the servant of a foreign king. And in the end, they were as bad off as they would have been had they simply just surrendered to the initial invading army. But Jehoshaphat is different. The first thing he does is that he resolves to inquire of the Lord. He's saying, we need to hear from God. We need God in this matter. He's saying, we are going to rely on God. We're going to depend on God. Now, now why do you think that Jehoshaphat was so ready to trust in God when this stuff broke out? I mean, as you look at him, you see in this passage, he doesn't look panicked. He, doesn't look, he, he looks calm. He looks collected. He looks like he's in control. He's not running around losing it. He's not running around screaming, we're all going to die. I mean, he's not telling everyone to run for the hills. I mean, he is alarmed. He knows the situation. He sees it for what it is. He's not sticking his head in the sand, but he's also in control. I mean, how is he doing this? And the reason he can do this is because trusting God was not 
new for him. Relying on God was not new for him. You know, sometimes uh, people like to go off and just live their life for themselves, know that, well, God's there if I ever need him. You know, and then get in a situation and something happens and all of a sudden start crying out, God, I need you, God, I need you, would you come save me? But the idea is to get you so, to a place where, where, where you're living for God when it's daylight, when you're living for God when it's sunshine, when you're in the habit of seeking God. And so Jehoshaphat, if you look at the entire record of his life, you see that inquiring of the Lord was a way of life for him in peacetime. The record shows that he relied on God. He depended on God. And then there was another time when the king of Israel asked Jehoshaphat to go to war with him and to try to convince him. He paraded a whole bunch of prophets of Baal in front of him who were proclaiming that they were going to have victory. And Jehoshaphat stopped for a second and said, isn't there a prophet of Yahweh here? A prophet of the Lord that we can inquire of? He didn't want to commit to going to this battle without hearing from the one true God. And then another time, when he and two other kings got themselves into trouble and it looked like all three of their armies were going to die of thirst in the desert, all the other kings began to panic, saying things like, oh, God's brought us out here to die. What are we going to do? There's no water and the, the, the animals and all the army is going to die. And, uh, but Jehoshaphat had the sense to say, isn't there a prophet of Yahweh around here somewhere? Isn't there a prophet of the Lord that we can inquire of? And it turned out that Elisha, the prophet, happened to be with them. And they brought uh, Elijah to the three kings, and uh, Elijah looked at them and said, if it wasn't for the presence of Jehoshaphat, I wouldn't even notice you. I wouldn't give you any word. But because Jehoshaphat had a reputation of seeking God, of inquiring of God, of being a godly leader, the prophet looked at him and said, now bring me a harpist. And he proclaimed the word of the Lord. And all three armies were saved by a great miracle because Jehoshaphat was in the habit of inquiring of the Lord. And so when Jehoshaphat was confronted with this dire situation in which a vast army had nearly pulled off a sneak attack and was nearly upon them, he was able to keep his composure because relying on God was already a well-established pattern in his life. He already had the habit of inquiring of the Lord. Say, that ought to be the habit of every Jesus follower, shouldn't it? Trusting God ought to be the habit of people who follow Jesus. When, when the day is bright and the sun is shining and there's no clouds in the sky, we ought to develop the habit of inquiring of the Lord, relying on God, depending on God. And then when it begins to rain and we get into some of the trials and difficulties that everyone faces in life, we ought to continue to develop the habit of relying on the Lord, of inquiring in the Lord, to, to, of asking, is there a word from the Lord for this situation? What does the Bible have to say about it? We ought to be developing the habit of relying on God, of depending on God's word. So that when the unusual day comes, when that terrible, horrible, awful, no good, very bad day comes, when it seems like the enemy has a vast army arrayed against you, you don't have to go to pieces. Instead, you do the same thing that you've always done. You inquire of the Lord. You look to his word. You're encouraged by his spirit. You rely and depend on him. Look at verse 4. It says, the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. So the people responded in unified faith with him. The king and people from all over the kingdom came together at the temple to seek the Lord. And this is really unique. This really didn't happen much. Outside of the feast times, 
For Israel, they had several feasts during the course of the year where all the people would gather at the temple. But other than that, it really didn't happen where all of the people came together. But because of this situation, they all came together at the temple of the Lord to seek the Lord. And so here, in response to this terrible, horrible day, they're all gathered from the towns of Judah to inquire of the Lord. In verse 5, it says this. Jehoshaphat begins to lead the people in prayer. And you know... When a godly person is desperate, that's when you, you sometimes see some of the most powerful prayers ever offered, right? Sometimes <laughs> desperate situations call out the most awesome, powerful, amazing prayers from God's people. And Jehoshaphat was no different. Look at it, verses four to nine, 5 to 9. This is his prayer. It says, Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new courtyard and said, Lord... The God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people of Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built it in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. So look what he's saying. Jehoshaphat is relying on the revealed word of God. He's looking to God's word and inquiring of God in his word. He's saying, God, these are the things you promised us. These are the things that, that you said. This is what you revealed to us in your word. And we've been honoring you. We've been obeying your word. Now, God, we're looking to you. We're relying on you. We're depending on you to fulfill your word in our lives, in our experience. And they're relying on the revealed word of God. When you are in a an alarming situation, you should inquire of God in his word. You should be asking, does God's word have something to say about this? What is God saying to me about this in his word? Is there anything from the word of God that applies to this situation? God, what do you want me to take from your word and apply it to this situation? Going on in verse 10 and 11. He says, but now here are men from Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance? Okay, so, so now he's laying out the situation before God. He's saying, God, this is the situation we're facing. And not that God isn't already aware of it. I mean, God knows what we're going through. But there's something spiritually important about the act of laying it out before God. It's an important part of the process to lay the situation that you are going through before God, even though he already knows it. And as you pray, you should go ahead and lay it out to him. You know, there's been this teaching that has gone around for, for several decades now that says you shouldn't really acknowledge anything negative that's happening or that's a, somehow that's a lack of faith. And you should just keep confessing just the positive. Now, I know that it's true that there are some people who seem to lack faith and view everything that happens in their life as negative. You know, I know that, that that's true. If you don't have any faith at all, if you've got little faith, you know, it's very easy to become very negative and see everything that's happening around you as negative. But it's not true to say that when you acknowledge some genuinely negative thing, some genuinely very bad day, that somehow that's a lack of faith. And over and over again in the Psalms, we see the psalmist 
lay out something before God. You know, someone is attacking them or, or some awful thing is happening or something that the psalmist is really struggling with and they'll lay it out before God. And, and some of the psalms, we see some brutal honesty about what's going on and, and how they're feeling. But usually at the end of all of those psalms that are like that, you'll hear the psalmist say, but I know that God has heard me. I know that God has heard my cry. I know that he sees my situation. And there's this statement of faith. You see, so it's not a lack of faith to say, God, there's this, there's this thing going on. God, it's really negative. It's really challenging. It's a horrible, no good, very bad day. It's not a lack of faith to say that and then follow it up with, but God, I know that you see me. I know that you hear my cry. I know that you're working in my situation. And so here Jehoshaphat is honest about the situation. He lays it out before God, and uh, it's not a lack of faith. On the contrary, when you can look at a negative situation and look at that no good day, and when you can see the armies of the enemy arrayed around you, when you can look square at the dreaded diagnosis, where you can stare down the pipe of a negative job situation, or you can look persecution and suffering squarely in the eye and, and, and lay it honestly before God and say, God, my eyes are on you. My hope is in you. My faith is in you. It doesn't matter what's going to happen. My faith is in you. My hand is staying in your hand. Say, that's faith. That's genuine faith. That's relying on God. That's dependence on God. Look at verse 12 and 13. He says, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And all the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood before the Lord. Wow, isn't that beautiful? So he makes his request. He says, God, we don't have the ability to bring victory. We don't know what to do. We're fresh out of ideas. We don't have any more resources. We don't have anywhere else to go, but our eyes are on you. We are fully relying on you. They were fully dependent upon God. And either God was going to show up or there was going to be a disaster. You know, there are some times when you just don't know what to do. How many of you have ever been in a circumstance where you just didn't know what to do? Where you felt, you know, you didn't have any other resources and you didn't know how the victory was going to come. You didn't know how you were going to get through this. Sometimes you're in that kind of a situation. And that's where they were. And, and so we come to verses 14 and 15. Something really cool happens. God spoke to them. Look at it, verses 14 and 15. He says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, a Levite and descendant of Asaph. As he stood in the assembly, he said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Oh my goodness. Isn't that awesome? That is so encouraging. When you are serving God, when you are dedicated to serving God's purposes, when you build your life in reliance and dependence on Him, He takes ownership of your battles. Now how many of you want to face everything that comes in life just with your own resources and the things that you have? How many of you would rather Face everything that comes at you in your life with all the resources of God Almighty with you. Isn't that better? And the way to it is to be like Jehoshaphat. To say, I am building my life on God. I'm going to honor God with everything that I am. I'm going to make my life a declaration 
of dependence on God. The battle is not yours but God's. God takes ownership of your battles. Going on in verse 16 and 17. Tomorrow, he says, march down against them, and they will be climbing up the pass of Ziz. And you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. How encouraging is that? They lived a life of honoring and depending on God in times of blessing. They resolved to rely on God's in desperate situations. They relied on God's word and depended upon it in prayer. And now God is encouraging them by his spirit and says, go out and face them tomorrow. Go out and face the situation. Be encouraged and face what looks alarming. You know, listen, there are important times for getting on your face before God for seeking him in prayer, for getting on your face and laying everything out before him and, and expressing your faith and your trust in him. But then there are also times when it's time to get up and go out and do business with God, to get up and go out and face the alarming situation with full confidence that God is with you and that he's working on your behalf. Verses 18 and 19, Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshiped before the Lord. And then some of the Levites from the Kohathites and Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Hey, here's some of those Old Testament Pentecostals, right? They stood up and praised the Lord with a very loud voice. Now, this is an amazing picture. Armies from three countries are bearing down on them, and they are worshiping. And there's no panic, there's no confusion, just worship, loud worship. And then the next day, they set out as God had instructed. Look at verse 21. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army. Now, I love this verse. I want you to picture this for a minute. I mean, this is the most ridiculous battle plan in the history of battle plans. If the people at West Point had a class on the, on the worst battle plans, this would be it. They're sending out the singers first. Those of you on the worship team, how would you like that? I mean, can you imagine with me for a minute? Say you're, you're, you, you've come from one of the tribes way up to the north, and, uh, and you're just getting there. You've missed what happened all the day before, the prayer and the, and the word from the Lord, and you're, they're getting ready to go out to battle, and, um, and uh, you say, okay, what's the battle plan? And the guy says, here, give me that sword. You don't need that. Uh, here's a guitar, and uh, here's a tambourine. Here's, here's a lyre. Now start marching out right at the head there. And, yeah, I mean, I'd be like, what are you talking about? I mean, what's the plan? What are, we, what are we going to do with these? Well, the plan is we're going to march out and sing at them. <laughs> march out and sing at them. This, can I tell you what? There's something about praise that is powerful. And there's something about genuine praise in the midst of a terrible, horrible, 
no good, very bad day. That is powerful. And I think what's happening is this. When everything's going really bad, and, you know, I think our human nature has this tendency to want to complain. But when we praise God, it's like we're making a declaration to us, to the world, to the heavenlies, that God is right in everything he does. I may be in this terrible, awful situation, and it looks really bad, and I don't understand everything that's going on, but by my praise, by my worship, I'm declaring that, that God is right. I'm declaring my faith in God. I'm declaring that I believe he is going to move in my situation. There's something powerful about praise in the midst of a terrible, awful situation. And we look at the rest of the story as we read it, we see that God brought about a remarkable, awesome victory. They didn't have to fight. The other armies turned on each other and destroyed each other. And the people went out and took the plunder. They trusted God. And God brought an amazing victory. And so as we get ready to conclude this morning, and the worship team comes back, uh, I want you to take several things away from this message. First is this idea. I should develop the habit of depending on God when the sun is shining so that when the storm comes, it's my natural reaction to depend on him. The second is this. Prayer is a declaration of dependence on God. So pray when the sun is shining and then pray in the storm. Reading God's word, following God's word is a declaration of dependence on God. So read the word when the sun is shining and rely on the word of God in the middle of the storm. And next, walking in the spirit is a declaration of dependence on God. So trust he is leading you in the sunshine and depend on him in the middle of the storm. And then praising God as you face your terrible day is a declaration of dependence on God. So praise God in the sunshine and praise God in the midst of the storm because it's powerful. Would you all stand with me?